I couldn't really see the road ahead of me. And I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. Uh, so I just felt like everything was failing. My self-worth and everything was being directly attributed to my results, which was completely unsustainable. I am proud of the work that I've done in commentary so far. Now that I'm here, I am proud of the work that I've been able to do. And I, I do cherish every moment and every opportunity. My guest this week is Mani Davudi, also known as Zapgaze. Mani can be seen casting at the highest level of the Magic Pro Tour. What you may not know about this young man is that Mani's come a long way to get here. He's lived the Magic Grinder lifestyle and has many lessons to share about both playing and casting Magic. I hope you enjoy the heck out of this conversation. Quick note on the audio quality of this episode. It's not the greatest. This is unfortunate, but I hope that you'll take the time to listen anyway, because Mani is a great guest. We'll do our best to make sure that future episodes stay on the good side of audio quality. Hey, Mani, how's it going? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm doing really good. It's good to see you again. Uh, you are in Vancouver right now, right? Yeah, I am. Where we first met many, many years ago. Yeah. Uh, is it okay for me to share our first encounter story? I, I don't know. You, you probably don't remember at all, but I was just thinking about it the other day. That's kind of why I reached out back to you. Yeah, absolutely. My memory is awful. <laughs> Go for it. I'll preface this to say that uh, I am extremely embarrassed at the person that I was 10 years ago. And I, I have this personal belief system that if you're not embarrassed by who you were 10 years ago, then you're probably doing it wrong. I think personal growth is very, very important. And we all kind of have to level up and grow over time. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want the story to be like, to have any negative connotation, but I just thought it was interesting to share. Like the first time I met you, cause I was living in Vancouver at the time too. And I think I was playing, I was definitely playing magic poorly. I was, uh, it was one of the, one of the LGSs. I think it was stronghold or connections is one of those. It's gotta be one of those. Cause those are only two stores sure. I literally know of in Vancouver. Um, yeah. and I think the first time I met you, I was playing some, Maybe it was like a like a legacy tournament, or maybe I was uh, happened to be in the store like playing, playing some like console game that they had set up, and I think you you came up and said something, and then you you said, "Hey, do you know Caleb Durward?" And then you you started name dropping Caleb, and you started talking about how uh, you know you and him were like good friends, and you guys play Magic together, and um, so that was my first that was my first. Um, encounter with you do you remember that at all probably not right i i, I don't <laughs> <laughs> it does sound I, like me 10 years ago though that that definitely that's right and then i think um what happened was because i play i don't play that much i didn't play that much magic back then so then i think i saw you at another legacy tournament and you crushed it with i think it was blue red painter or something i think it was a list that i might have seen caleb actually uh, suggest at one point. Um, but it's probably one of like hundreds or thousands of magic tournaments you played, let alone being just some local event. So I'm sure you also don't remember that at all. Right. Well, there was a series. So my memory, as I said, is really bad. Um, but there was definitely a series of legacy tournaments I played upwards of 10 years ago at this point where I was playing painter. Um, I know that you and I actually, um, traveled down to, uh, Washington state. Um, and I think played a legacy tournament at Kirkwood together, if I'm 
remembering it right, but I know that there was definitely a series of time where I was playing Painter and Legacy, so that does sound right. Merkwood, that is now um, uh, reigniting a lot of interesting memories. Yeah, yeah, uh, we definitely did that at some point. And I guess the last thing I'll say about that first or second encounter is that when you first name drop Caleb, I actually thought you were full of it. Like, I didn't think that you actually knew Caleb because I was so precocious and I had no idea how magic worked and how small the community really is that I actually went and messaged Caleb after saying, hey, do you actually know a guy named Monty? Like, do you actually know him? Or is he just pretending to know you? And he said, yeah, I know Monty. We're, we're, we're buddies and stuff like that. So I, I don't know why. I just That just came into my mind like two weeks ago. And I was just like, I want to talk to Monty. <laughs> so... I'm glad that was what ignited it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's such a weird memory. I was just, Maybe I'll just turn the tables and ask you, like, do you have any interesting mem magic memories from, like, 10 years ago, maybe playing Legacy or just, like, being around magic at the time? Uh, it's tough. I have a really hard time with um, long-term memory. Like... Most events of, I would say, honestly, pre-pandemic at this point, everything is sort of a haze for me for most of my life. I have feelings that I can associate with different times, and I can vaguely remember, okay, I was in this city or this happened, but a lot of things are just completely a blur. So sometimes thinking about things, things do come rushing back. Like you mentioned, Caleb reminds me of a trip at a Grand Prix Portland at some point where I think we walked through a McDonald's drive through at three in the morning to get chicken nuggets. That's the random thing that I'll actually remember. But a lot of things are just completely a blur. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I, To be honest, a lot of things pre-COVID or maybe even during COVID were also kind of a a blur. Um, it's those like weird memories that just come back, like the 3 a.m. McDonald's. Um, yeah. Kind of like calling my memory of you. I, it's like, I have no idea why. Maybe I was just watching you on Magic Coverage and I just, for some reason, you look so presentable. And then for some reason, I just thought about that. Or maybe it was like the fact that I was chatting to someone who was still in Vancouver about Magic and it's it's this weird part of my brain that, that activated. But um uh, so you've been in Van you've been Vancouver for the the whole time, right? Is that right? Yeah, I've when I moved to Canada uh, from Iran, um, it was to Vancouver, and I have been here ever since. So I think we're now approaching twenty four years of me being here. Yeah, most of my life. Yeah, what? How has Vancouver changed in your opinion, like over the two decades? Uh, it's hard to say because a lot of my memories, like I said, don't really attain. So it, it almost has a way of feeling like Vancouver is what it has always been. So that's definitely not true. Things are constantly changing. Things are constantly being developed. But for some reason, when I look around Vancouver, I don't really feel like anything has changed because my memory of it is always the most recent iteration. What is it like to um, 
maybe this is going into the magic story backstory a little bit. I know you've been a very high level magic player. You, you won a grand prix in 2017. Um, is there anything interesting about just, uh, I, I'm kind of trying to tap into the, the magic part of your memory only, but is there anything interesting about leveling up or developing as a magic player in Canada, maybe as opposed to in the United States? I'm just curious. Okay. Maybe let's, let's break down the question. Um, maybe is, are there particular people or, um, environments that allows you to initially level up as a magic player and really become more serious and, uh, and such environment. I definitely began playing magic, uh, as a competitive outlet. I've always been competitive and magic to me was something I wanted to do as a competitive outlet, not just something I wanted to play casually. Um, and coming up, there was a lot of support from that, just from the Vancouver scene, um, Magic Stronghold and uh, the Connection Games, as you mentioned, places where uh, I got my ass handed to me a lot um, when I was just starting out. And really just having the opportunity to play against players that were really good, players that were pro tour caliber. Um, we never had too many, uh, but they were always here. But I think my biggest level up when I was playing earlier on in my quote-unquote career uh, was through a website called Magic League. Um, Magic League used to be uh, a website that basically operated through uh, IRC, and there were uh, various IRC channels, and they ran um, Magic tournaments, but they ran them through Magic Workstations, so it was a way to circumvent uh, magic online and card availability and just get to play magic. Uh, and I spent a lot of time um, because I didn't have a magic online account or access to cards because I was a broke kid uh, playing in magic league tournaments. And uh, that was a way for me to really hone some level of skill. Yeah. What was the initial um, even motivation that made you want to get into Magic League and Workstation. I, I guess getting your ass handed to you in your words was one, but was there anything else? Uh, it wasn't enough for me, the amount of Magic I was able to play in person, um, especially when I was first uh, going away to um, university. I spent a brief time um, at the University of Victoria. Uh, being in Victoria made it so I was cut off from a lot of the competitive magic scene because everything or pretty much everything was in Vancouver at the time. So it was a three hour ferry ride away. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any reasonable means. And even then I still came back uh, on weekends where there were big tournaments because I wanted to compete. But while I was there, uh, I get some of my magic fill in at Yellow Jacket, but that required a trek off campus. So a lot of my time, I just wanted to play more Magic. It wasn't enough for me. Um, and that's where Magic League came in. Would you say that the people that had the most impact on your growth as a player were the people that were in the Magic League? Maybe people like Caleb or otherwise? Or was it more people uh, in IRL? I would definitely say that 
the biggest impact on me um, were the players in Vancouver. Um, that it, as I came up, I uh, became friends with, and we draft a lot. And I think that was it was almost trial by fire. We could be, we would do a lot of team drafts, but I was a lot worse than a lot of people. So I was joining the team drafts basically knowing that I was disadvantaged, knowing that I didn't have a good chance of winning. But it was a really good opportunity to both observe better players and play against better players. And I think that was the biggest thing for me locally that had an impact on um, my growth as a Magic player. Were you fully immersed in Magic? Like, was it was it taking up all the waking hours of your time, or did you find a, a different balance? Oh, yeah, no. I uh, Once I really started competing with Magic, I was hooked. Like, I started playing... I think in 2000, late 2008, um, and by the time I went over to university, um, mid 2009, I, I wasn't really focusing on my classes, you know, partially a mix of not having interest in them and post-secondary education and partly just being obsessed with magic, but my schedule looked something like I would skip half of my classes and grind magic online every day, um, either in uh, Magic League or later on through MTGO. Uh, I would basically stay up all night uh, grinding. Then in the morning when the cafeteria opened, I would go get breakfast from the cafeteria, go back to my room and sleep. And, and that was my schedule for most of an entire semester of school. So it was, <laughs> it wasn't the best schedule. It wasn't the healthiest, but I, I was, I was deep into it. It sounds like you followed in the, the grand tradition of many magic players and pros that came before you, like the, the, the magic online laptop lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it was or desktop. Yeah. <laughs> whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. I definitely followed the path of, uh, many a grinder and pro before myself. What did you study in university? Uh, so I went to university for English as my minor. Um, it was weird because I had applied for university for the theater program all throughout high school. I was a theater kid. Um, and I, I was passionate about it. I really wanted to continue doing theater in university, but, uh, I didn't get into the theater program that I applied for. Um, I applied for a few, um, but I got into the English program and you know, all the ideology um, that had been blasted at me was always, I have to go to university, I have to go to university. So it never seemed like an option at the time, um, could not do so. Uh, so when I got into um, the University of Victoria, I went and I started doing the studying, but I, I couldn't really see the road ahead of me. I couldn't see, okay, well, what happens after I finish studying English? And I had no idea what I wanted to do in life, but my studies also didn't interest me at all. And I had a really hard time focusing on something and putting time into something that didn't interest me. Uh, so I just felt like everything was failing. Um, and at the sometime near the end of that first semester, I realized that 
school is only going to benefit me if I'm actually doing the work. This isn't like high school of just, I have to get through to the other side. If I'm not getting a major that I have interest in, if I'm not actually doing the course coursework and learning from it, I'm just wasting my time and I'm just wasting money. So I, I decided that until I could figure out a direction for myself, I wasn't going to continue. And I dropped out after that first semester. Okay. So yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't for you at that time. Right. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever, uh, go, go back or, uh, try to re-engage with theater in, in some way or English or. Uh, I tried taking some classes later on, um, at a local college in Vancouver after I came back. Um, but part of it was, I wouldn't find this out until much later. Um, but I have uh, ADHD, and I hadn't gotten diagnosed with it. Um, so a lot of my attention issues and trouble focusing had to do with that. Um, and that was uh, during the time that I was in school. So no matter what I studied, I couldn't get something to stick. Um, and ultimately, my path went in a different direction. Um, so I never ended up going back to school after uh, I was diagnosed and put on ADHD medication. Now, whether it's something that I'll revisit in the future or not, who knows? But at the mm -hmm. moment, uh, that's not really the path for me. Yeah. I, 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 I really want to ask, like, because I, I, don't, I don't personally know what it is like to have um, ADHD or the maybe out to generalize it, the inability to focus at certain times. Like, I'm just wondering if, if you are able to be at the level that you wanted it, wanted to be in magic at that time, like, like, let's just say pre, pre-medication or pre-treatment, right? Um, was there something, were you able to focus or do, or get, be at where you wanted to be, I should say, when it came to, to magic, like looking back all those years ago? No, but I don't think it was because of the ADHD. I think it played a part, certainly, mm -hmm. but I think that I, I often think that I almost wasted um, my competitive opportunity at Magic for a very long time. Um, and that was more to do with that entire time frame of my life than just the ADHD. Yeah. So not to, not to pinpoint it on that, but maybe like there are other things and what would you say those other things are or were? So I spent a lot of time, um, between, I would say 2010 when I stopped going to school and 2015, when I first decided to take a step back from Magic, I spent a lot of time playing. It was, for most of those years, it was my sole focus. Um, but I was also extremely depressed at the time. Um, and it was one of those things where a combination of 
leaving school or having felt like I failed at school um, and my physical health not being in a good place and uh, feeling directionless in terms of where my life is going. Um, this was all going on. And for me, it felt like magic was the only positive thing in my life. It was something that I was moderately good at. I, I wouldn't say I was great at it. I certainly wasn't playing at a professional level, but I was moderately good at it. Um, and this was a positive thing in a life that felt like it was full of negatives. But the flip side of that was it became my everything. And that also meant that my self-worth and everything was being directly attributed to my results. If I, if magic is the only thing in my life and I'm not doing well at it, then I'm failing at life. And if I am doing well at it, then I'm just meeting expectation. So it created this really bad um, dynamic in terms of uh, reward where feeling good Doing well was a very minor dopamine rush of this is how I'm supposed to be doing, whereas doing badly had a deep negative effect, um, which was completely unsustainable. And I realized that later, but at the time, it, there was nothing else. So I was just caught in this cycle. And I think if I had taken a year off in, let's say, 2011, 2012, um, and taking some time to focus on myself, um, work on my physical health a bit, work on my mental health a bit, and just step away from the game um, and make sure that I have a more well-rounded life um, and then come back to the game um, with those things having gotten the proper attention and care. I think that my career could have been very different, but fortunately at the time that never really seemed like an option. It was just keep pushing, just keep grinding, just keep going for the next tournament. Um, and the result was I spent a long time failing at magic. I was grinding, but I wasn't making it to the pro tour. I was, getting middling tournament results in whatever I was playing in. Uh, and in general, I just was not feeling good about playing the game, but I was doing it anyway. If I had done that differently, I think my career could have been different. Yeah. Um, that really resonates with me for, for two reasons. One is that I've also been there. I've also been in that situation where I wanted magic to be everything. Now, mind you, I, I didn't even reach the heights that you achieved, but in my own mind, I was very much, if I go, if I look back 10 years ago or whatever, whenever it was, I was single. Uh, I wanted to use magic to fill some sort of void in my life. You know what I mean? Like I wanted magic to be some sort of magic bullet, um, to use a magic term, <laughs> uh, to address some of the, some of the things that were going on around me. And I didn't really 
know how to stop because I just had a kind of addictive personality. Like even now, like when it comes to, uh, maybe not magic anymore, but like a few years ago for me, it was magic online. Uh, more recently it was Twitter and it's just really hard for me to draw boundaries. I'm not saying that we're exactly the same. I, and I don't want to trivialize some of your mental health and, um, struggles with depression. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, but I think there is something, um, universal about like being a, a player who wants to be competitive in magic and just feeling like winning only gives you like one tenth of satisfaction of, uh, proportional to like, like, I don't know how to say it. Like losing hurts a lot more than, than winning. Like I also remember the second thing that resonated about what you said is, um, um, cause you know, Jerry T Jerry Thompson has been very, uh, public about his, his struggles with depression. And when I talked to him, he was also saying that like, you know, even when I won like, a a major event, I would feel happy for a, like a brief moment of time. And then I would just go back to being feeling like feeling terrible. So there's something that's just not like the deck is just kind of, the game is just kind of rigged against you. If you're trying to use magic to, um, to address some of the other things going on in your life. And, but having said all that, like, how did you get out of that funk? Because, um, you, you, you said it was like between 2010 and 2015 that you were really like in this kind of, um, kind of in this cycle, right? How did you manage to, um, to, to get out of it? Well, my story and how I was feeling certainly not unique. I think it's something that the majority of magic grinders have probably felt at some point. Um, but for me personally, I, I remember exactly it was Gravity Las Vegas in 2015. Um, and it was, I think modern masters two uh, sealed. And I went nine Oh on day one. And that was my second Grand Prix day one um, undefeated. The first time in Houston, I had converted uh, to a top eight, and that was my first Grand Prix top eight. And, you know, felt the appropriate level of fleeting joy from it before the reality of magic set back in. Um, but at this point, I was deep into the I have to do well. Um, mindset. So when I went day one of that Grand Prix, it was great. And then day two, I bombed out. I went uh, one, two in both drafts. And the level of disappointment that I felt that day wasn't comparable to anything I had felt up to that point playing Magic. Even uh, the Pro Tours that I had gone to and uh, day two, but not done so well, or failed to make day two, uh, this far outweighed them. And it was taking a step back and re-examining my feelings after that event, where I realized that something I should have realized years ago, which is magic is a game where you're going to lose much more than you're going to win. That's the unfortunate reality of uh, a game like Magic that is both skill and various space is throughout your career, you're not going to be the winner in that many tournaments. You, whether it's 
the second loser, whether it's the third loser, top eight, missing top eight, whatever it is, you're going to lose a lot more than you're going to win uh, in Magic. And if you can't find a way for those losses to sting less than the wins are sweet, then your relationship with the game is not healthy. And you're not going to be able to overcome that. And I knew that if I kept playing, I couldn't overcome that because I felt nothing from any sort of positive result, but I felt horrible from negative results. And I decided after that Grand Prix that I was done. I, I was quitting competitive magic. And yeah, that, that was the catalyst. And I said, I'm done. And I stopped traveling to events. So it was a, a, a new rock bottom. It was a new low. And it was like, finally the wake up call for money to be like, this is not healthy. Like I, I felt nothing from the nine Oh, but I felt everything from the, the day two. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, um, what happened? Like you took a, you took time away from magic. Like how long did, how, how long? Like, uh, so I decided that I'm done playing competitively. Uh, it was weird because I couldn't just stop playing magic altogether. Uh, part of that just being magic had been my life from 2009 to 2015. And the result of that was all of my social circles were ingrained through magic. All of my hobbies had been put aside for magic. It was the only thing in my life for so long that if I just completely stopped playing, not only would I have nothing to do, but I'd have no friends, nothing. So I kept playing magic casually doing cube drafts and uh, online drafts and things that would give me that fill without needing to compete, without needing the results to matter. But I also started uh, working on myself. I started eating better. I started exercising. Um, I went to uh, a doctor for my depression uh, and I got diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, I put on the appropriate medication. Um, and all of those changes made an impact. It changed my mindset a lot. It helped balance out my mood a lot. Um, because I was a pretty angry person. I, I tried not to let that affect other people. I tried my best for my anger to mostly be directed at myself. But a lot of that was just a deep unhappiness with where my life was at and where my life was going. Um, so being put on medication, taking a step back to really focus on improving aspects of my life also helped me uh, really just, I would say evolve as a person and mellow out quite a bit. Um, and that was nice. Were there particular people that, that helped you on your journey at that time, like just in terms of uh, support network? 
really just the entire uh, Vancouver magic community. Um, my friends like Sebastian Deno and Jordan Cairns and Drew Christensen um, were just sort of always there while also understanding my decision to not want to play competitively. So it, there were plenty of ways to hang out with magic without needing to travel to events. And uh, my parents have always been extremely supportive and it definitely felt like I had the support system to step away from the game to a certain extent, but without feeling like I'm isolating myself. Okay. So it sounds like your good friends uh, were pretty good at helping you keep your distance away from competitive magic then they, they weren't like constantly um saying hey money like there's <laughs> there's a there's a ptq this weekend do you want to play it or something yeah. i guess you would know anyway since you're not of that still in magic. <laughs> okay okay that's good um so how do you go from that to going back into competitive magic because i know for for a fact that you started playing at least online competitively in 2020 like did you take was it was it the entire five years or did you get back to competitive magic? Like what made you go decide to go back? Did you feel like you had done enough, uh, time away and healing or was it something else? Um, so between 2015 and 2017, um, it's funny because I can look at my MTG ELO project and really, <laughs> yeah, that. Um, that helps. Yeah. I, I played that Grand Prix Las Vegas and then I played two Grand Prix Vancouver's that were in hometown and I felt like I had to play them. Um, and I played those with a very almost casual mindset. I didn't spend time preparing. I didn't worry too much about my deck choices. I, I just played to have a good time. Um, and I did, and that was the extent of my magic competition. I played zero PTQs. I played nothing. Um, and it did good for me. I, I felt like my mindset a lot. I think somewhere during this period, I actually traveled down to Portland when there was a Grand Prix happening and I didn't play. I didn't play in the Grand Prix. In, I was in the city where a Grand Prix was happening and I didn't play. And that was like... The that would have been unthinkable for money right, like that, that five years ago. unthinkable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, Grand Prix were seen as a rare commodity in the Northwest. We didn't get them too often. So there was a grand prix you were playing uh, and i just didn't play and uh i felt really good about not playing i had no feelings of fomo throughout the weekend if i wish i was um i felt completely at peace with it um and then 20 made a lot of improvements during that time but 2017 rolled around um and there was a grand prix las vegas happening um and this was the big one. This was, first of all, this was the first Grand Prix Las Vegas since 2015, which was the event that sort of rolled me down that path. Um, but it was when they were doing the three Grand Prix in one weekend. So it was limited uh, Thursday, yes. Friday. Yes. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty legendary. Friday, Saturday, and mm -hmm. I guess see Saturday, Sunday or something. It was mm -hmm. an insane weekend. Um, and I wanted to be in Las Vegas that weekend just because I wanted to see friends. I hadn't traveled in 
two years. Um, I didn't have work uh, at that moment, so it, it lined up where I could take a vacation, and I wanted to see my friends. Um, and I thought to myself that I'm going to play the limited Grand Prix. Uh, and regardless of how it goes, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to do anything else. Um, I'm just going to play the limited Grand Prix and have a good time. And then enjoy being in Vegas, enjoy the food, enjoy my friends. It's a vacation. So again, no expectations about that event? No expectations. No, I had put zero work into it. Um, and I get to Las Vegas and I play the limited event. Um, and mind you, I, uh, I win a, I win a side event, um, Grand Prix trial. Uh, on the Wednesday, the day before the limited Grand Prix. Um, so even though I've been playing no magic, I have two buys um, because of that. And it's funny because it was really value for that weekend. Because if you won one of the Grand Prix trials, you got two buys into all three of the Grand Prix. Oh my gosh. Much, you got two buys into all three of them. Yeah. Um, which didn't matter to me at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I played the limited Grand Prix. Uh, and I went 0-3. But just to give, it, it gives me an idea as to maybe even how competitive those uh, those trials are, because I'm sure people are just grinding them nonstop, right? Trying yeah, to, trying it, to get it, those it was buys. tough. Um, and I played the limited Grand Prix. I opened a pretty good pool, and I went 0-3. Did not win a match, uh, and I was done uh, by, like, 5 in the afternoon or something. And there was mm -hmm. this moment of, like, all right, well, now what? And it's like, all right, well, enjoy Las Vegas. So I'm hanging around the site, I'm talking uh, to people, I'm having conversations because that was the point of the trip was to see friends, see people who I haven't seen for a while. It's Vegas, it's three Grand Prix, so it attracted a lot of people. I'm talking to people I haven't seen in two years. Um, and I somehow arrive at a table where, uh, funny you mentioned him, Jerry Thompson and Sam Black are having a conversation. Um, and they're having a conversation about modern. Um, and somewhere in that conversation, I don't know how it comes up, but Sam mentions that he thinks affinity is really well positioned in modern. Um, and it's funny because I haven't really been playing much modern. I haven't been playing much constructed at all. Um, but the few times that I had played modern both before I quit and throughout my retirement in like random online leagues when I'd been craving it, Affinity was the deck I played. It was the only deck I really knew in the format. Um, so when Sam said he thought Affinity was really well positioned, it caught my interest. Um, and you know, that, that planted the seed of maybe. So I started thinking about it and it started researching deck lists on my phone while I'm at the venue that afternoon um, and trying to see what the current iteration of the Affinity decks look like. Um, and I went for a Hail Mary. I asked my friend, um, Steve Barnett, who was there, if he was playing Affinity in the Modern Grand Prix or if his Affinity deck was available. And he said that it was available. So... I'm like, okay, I might want to use it. And I spent the rest of the day really thinking about that decision. I'm like, okay, well, I just lost, but I don't feel bad about having lost. 
So this is already some improvement. Do I want to play a second graph read this week? And it was going to be with the same no expectations. You know, I just want to play more magic because I'm here. Um, and I decided sometime at like one in the morning that I was going to play the Grand Prix. Um, at one in the morning. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Last I, minute I, audible. Yeah. yeah. And I messaged Steve um, and he was up playing poker. Um, and I asked him, hey, can you have the deck for me in the morning? And he said, yeah, I'll have it. So I registered for the Grand Prix and I still had my two buys. Um, and yeah, I wasn't taking it seriously. I think that first evening, um, before day one, uh, me and Pascal Maynard went to, um, the win encore to their like pool club where there was a DJ playing a show at like, I think midnight. So when I messaged Steve, I was at that show and I, me I messaged him from like poolside and <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play. And then yeah. I left that show at five in the morning, uh, got back to my friends who I was staying with, slept two hours until seven, woke up, had breakfast and went to the site, grabbed my deck and played in the modern event. And it was almost uh, poetic in a way because it was two years later in the same city that had in a way broken me, um, in 2015 and I went 9-0 on day one. And then I went nearly undefeated in day two and I won the Grand Prix. Um, yep. The Grand Prix I wasn't planning on playing in, a Grand Prix I hadn't prepared for. Uh, a Grand Prix who I definitely wasn't rested enough to play in, given the choices I had made. Uh, but I won. And it was a surreal feeling because I didn't expect it. I, I wasn't planning on doing well. It just sort of happened. And the feeling I had after that was really special because there were a lot of my friends there who watching and I got to um, see them after and it was just this feeling of okay this is what it feels like to actually get a win that matters because I had never done that in my career and it was it was nice were you very emotional after the the two days yeah it, it's weird because it never really sank in um, it I just couldn't believe it at the time that it had happened. It just seemed ridiculous to me. Like mm -hmm. I didn't play competitive magic anymore. How, how did that happen? Um, you know, I think a lot of it was just the removal of the stress on myself and just finding myself relaxed throughout the tournament. Um, but yeah, it was, it was my first trophy. I'd never done that special and I when it really started feeling real a week or so later I was just content I I didn't think I was playing magic again uh, everybody kept asking uh, it was almost like John Wick like are you back and I was like 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> Are you out of retirement? Yeah. yeah I, I think I just played the one event and it qualified me for a pro tour. So I was going to play that, but I wasn't back. Nothing had changed in terms of, I want to continue focusing on myself and, uh, my life outside of magic. I'm intentionally curious about one thing yeah. in that, in that Grand Prix, when you were heading into the, the top eight, what was going through your mind at that point in time? Uh, honestly, it was just redemption. It was the idea that I had done it this time around. It wasn't about winning at that point. It was just that I had come back to Vegas and I had, this time I had come out on top. Um, and that was really nice to me. It didn't, you know, it, it didn't matter. Um, it wasn't like I held a grudge against Vegas, but the fact that I had been able to redeem myself from the previous event was just really nice. And once I got to the top eight, I, I had done it because that qualified for the pro tour. That, that had been my goal for so long. Um, I played some pro tours, but I spent a lot of time trying to make it back to the pro tour and failing. So getting that top eight, getting back to the pro tour was the redemption of that fact in a lot of ways. I know that some players, when they, when they enter a top eight, they're kind of just happy to be there. And some people, when they enter the top eight, they're like, I'm going to win the whole thing. Right. Um, where were you on that spectrum when you? when you entered that top eight, was it happy to be there? Or was it just like, I am now going to crush it or it's none of the above. Um, I was just approaching it one match at a time. I, you know, I think I lost one match throughout that entire tournament in the Swiss and that person was in the top eight. Um, but the rest of the event had been too easy almost. So like, I didn't feel like. I didn't have a chance. I felt like my list was really good and my deck was well positioned. Um, but I also just felt like I'm going to play a match of magic and hopefully they'll let me play another one and another one uh, until I don't have any more matches to play with. That's from losing or winning. Um, it is what it is, but I just want to play more magic. And after that, that win and, and going to the pro tour and subsequent years, um, how would you describe your, your, I guess we'll just say from then until 2020, cause that's when you started casting or doing more of it. Like, how did you, how would you describe your relationship with magic and how that has evolved or maybe even like from then until now, like that, that, that entire relationship you have with magic or competitive magic. I would say healthy, uh, is the definition that I would use. Um, I'm definitely going to focus on pre 2020 just because I feel like that's sort of a separate era now, but I was able to play at the pro tour and not do well and not be crushed about it. Like I was previously. And I was able to come back to Vancouver and carry on with my life. Um, focus on work focus on my health, focus on myself, um, and just continue 
going down what felt like the right path. Um, but I was also able to play some magic here and there. Um, a few years later, I think in 2019, uh, 2018, I, um, I drove down to, uh, I drove down to Seattle and I played, um, an LCQ for a, uh, for the regional PTQs, the RPTQs. Um, and then I made it in and then I qualified for the pro tour off of that. Um, so it was like, you know, I wasn't grinding, but I was allowing myself to compete when the, the inspiration and the itch struck. Um, I was able to have good results, um, which was cool. It, it was nice to have that relationship with magic where I could play when I want and not play the rest of the time. and don't feel like it is consuming me in my life. Yeah. And what's it like? What was it like for you to play in the pro tours? Um, you know, I played in a few. And the first few, um, pre 2015 were extremely nerve wracking and just a lot of expectations on yourself. It sounds like, yeah, you know, I, I, I wanted to succeed, but more than that, I had to succeed. I didn't, it felt really bad. Um, then the pro tours I played post 2015, uh, it was the opposite. I didn't need to succeed because I knew that regardless of what happened that weekend, uh, I had a life to go back to that was completely fine. Um, I did a lot better. I requalified at one of the pro tours for another one. Um, and I had decent results. I wouldn't say great results, but I had decent results. Um, and even when I didn't, I was fine with it. I was happy with it because it was a vacation. It, the goal was it for me to do amazing at those pro tours? It was just be able to have a healthy relationship with magic. And I felt like I was doing that. So the pro tours were fulfilling what they needed to, which was an opportunity to play at the highest level without feeling bad about it afterwards. I feel like that's the great paradox of magic or the paradox of magic tryharding. A lot of people that I've talked to. The paradox is that when their life is not all about magic or their expectations are not all about performing super well every time, that's when they're able to actually do well. And when someone is almost trying too hard, they off, more often than not, maybe statistically, it's just impossible. Like they just can't, they just can't perform all the time. I mean, they just can't perform well all the time. So it's like the more expectations, pressure you put on yourself, the harder it is. And the more well-rounded you are, maybe as a, as a person, the better you're actually able to, to do. Now, obviously there are exceptions to the rule. Maybe you know of somebody who put all of their life into magic 24 seven and got there, but I would expect that for the average human, it's probably harder when you put it put a ton of expectations on yourself, kind of like the proverbial gun to the head. And, and, and then you're expected to, to always do well. That's very difficult. So, um, 
I feel like you figured something out, right? Would you agree or disagree? I would agree. I wish I'd figured it out a lot sooner if I could go back 15 years and talk to somebody that is just starting out magic. The one thing I would say is make sure that I have a life outside of magic. Make sure that I have a well-rounded persona and that things aren't everything about magic. And I would say that to all the grinders is just, I think, taking a step away from the game and just making sure that your life outside of it is on the right track, whatever that may be, you know, life is different for everyone, but just making sure that you have something that isn't the game is really important. And I know that I was lacking that. And I know that a lot of grinders have lacked that in the past. Um, and I think it's really important to just have that balance. And once I realized that it really helped a lot, um, in all aspects of my life. I'm glad to hear that you're in a better place now. Um, just as a, as someone who knows you as a friend, I just, I'm just really happy that you, you found the, the way. And the next thing I want to ask you is how did you get into casting? Because I understand like we might've had some messages back and forth, like pre 2020, like you were helping to do some or cast or organize some local events. Uh, so how, how did you make your way into that? So in 2018, I started, um, unofficially, um, helping out and working with a company called the game to see, and their idea was to open a stadium that would almost act like a community center for, um, East force of gaming in Vancouver while also being a space to compete, having a stage, having the gear, having everything where you could do legitimate tournaments um, and broadcast them. Um, And this lined up a lot with my passions and what I was interested in. And I started working with them unofficially. Um, And then in 2019, when they opened, I started working with them officially. Um, And over the course of 2019, we had a lot of different events for different games, but magic being my passion um, and coinciding with magic arena having just gone in its full release uh i started running some arena events uh, and it was both a way for me to stay connected to the magic community it was also just something that i felt like i could do for the vancouver community that had done so much for me was to host more ways for them to play magic magic and with prizes. Um, those events were really cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, but they also allowed me to fulfill one of my other, uh, almost dreams or long time goals for magic, um, which was commentary. Commentary had been something that I wanted to do, um, basically since the beginning, um, since I started playing competitive magic, um, I loved watching Pro Tours. And I think I watched the Pro Tour Kyoto broadcast and that was the first time that I was like, I, I wanna do that. I wanna be a commentator. I wanna 
be able to talk about magic for a living. Um, and that became my long-term goal for a really long time. Um, even during all the times I was grinding, uh, that was my goal was eventually to be able to do magic. But the opportunity never really um, came up. Uh, unfortunately, commentary is a, in any endeavor, but especially in magic and esports, there's a much wider pool of people that want to and can do it than there are opportunities. Um, Absolutely. That's the nature of it. Uh, and commentary was never an attainable thing for me um, when I was playing magic. So when I started working for the gaming stadium, I started running um, my own arena events. Well, there's nobody to stop me from doing commentary on top of them. Um, so I was sort of, with the help of my team, I was doing it all. I was running the event and running back and forth between the room and the commentary booth and uh, commentating on my own events. And I would get people um, who are playing, who have their buys or have been knocked out, to jump in and do some commentary with me. Uh, and sometimes I would just solo cast if there was nobody. Um, but it was a way for me to really uh, live out that dream for myself. So I was doing that. Um, and fast forward to early 2020, um, I've just had a good result at DreamHack Anaheim, um, which I sort of went to on a whim just because I wanted to play the magic and it was really cool looking arena tournament, um, and then the pandemic hit, and everything stopped, everything shut down, my work all became online, and we had to find a way to pivot, uh, but Magic also shut down, and Channel Fireball wanted to fill the void of competitive Magic, so they started doing the Grand Prix at home, and... I saw that they were running qualifiers and they were running these events and they were doing round the clock coverage. So they had a lot of people I'd never heard of doing commentary. And suddenly what was an endeavor that had more people than opportunities now seemed like there were a ton of opportunities for even a brief moment, but there were a ton of opportunities and I had been working at it. I had been doing it for myself. So, I reached out to Martin Juza, um, who worked for Channel Fireball and was doing some of the commentary, and asked him if he could put me in touch with the right person. Um, and weeks later, I got the opportunity at four in the morning uh, to impromptu cast one of the qualifiers. Um, I was actually playing in that qualifier, so unbeknownst to uh, the viewers, I was basically playing Magic on one screen, watching Magic on a different screen simultaneously, and trying to focus on my game while casting <laughs> the game as well. Talk about multitasking. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the best, uh, and it was four in the morning, but um, I managed to make my way through it. I, I didn't win the match of the Magic I was playing, but they weren't really my priority at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And it went well, and I got another opportunity from Channel Fireball, uh, and then that opportunity led to uh, CFB hiring me to do uh, one of the Thirst Tours online, and then that got me noticed with uh, Wizards of the Coast, and I got a chance to do uh, the Flare Store Finals. Um, 
And then from there, it was hard to do more work and more work and more work until I became a regular part of the Wizards Pro Tour broadcast team. Right. Now you're at the, the highest level, my friend. You're, you've you kind of reached the, uh, the top of the mountain. But uh, you, there's so much you just said that I want to like go back a yeah, little bit. Let's do it. Uh, first of all, in your opinion, how does one get better at casting or doing coverage? Uh, the short answer and the most depressing one is to just do it. Um, and, like reps? Yeah. And the reason that's depressing is because there's an opportunity to do it. Uh, I did it because I was running my own tournaments. Obviously, not everybody can do that. Um, mm -hmm. But even just if you want to start practicing uh, commentary, just playing games of magic and recording them, and then going back and doing commentary over them uh, as an observer, you know, it's not the best, but it's something. Uh, or watching games of pro magic on mute um, and acting as if you are the commentator. So, for example, the pro tour that just happened, if you're watching the VOD and you just mute Paul Marshall and you do commentary over it, that's a way to practice. That's a way to get some reps in. Uh, it's not ideal, uh, but it's better than nothing. Um, I think that's reps is the best way to really start honing some skills in. Um, and the other thing I would say is definitely watching your commentary. If you're in a position to be doing commentary, go back and watch it. I always say that to anyone that asks me um, how to improve at commentary. Um, I feel like I have a ton of room for improvement myself, but the answer is always when you do any sort of commentary, go back and watch it, review it um, from the point of view of a spectator and judge yourself for how you did. Not in a way of um, not trying to make yourself feel bad, but trying to take an objective view of this is where I could have used some improvement. I'm not quite happy with how I did this. Um, and just notes for general improvement or ask friends to review um, what you've done and give you any notes, ask for pointers. It's all just ways to improve. Sounds like there's some parallels between improving as a commentator and improving at magic, right? Like you have to, you have to go back and reflect. You have to like study the game film as opposed to just mindlessly grinding leagues. Get you, you might have to act like actually go back and figure out like think more about it as opposed to do it all the time. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think that with any anything that you really just get better at. Um, over time, there's different approaches to how you can use that time. Um, and one of it is definitely reps. And I think that helps a lot with commentary. But the other, which I think is an underrated thing in magic is just analysis and review. And that's a big thing that I think would level up the game of a lot of magic players is if you have any sort of game footage on tape, um, whether that's replays, whether that's uh, covered matches, whatever it is, um, going back and reviewing your matches is a great way to improve the magic. And the same is true about commentary. For sure. And uh, 
I also wanted to ask you, how does one get better at creating chemistry with your co-caster or, cause I feel like that's something that people don't talk enough about is having good chemistry. For example, on air, I feel like you have great chemistry with Maria. I feel like there are certain casters that are just able to blend well. Like how does one get better at that? Cause there's the whole like getting better as an individual, but there's also the whole teamwork dynamics. So for you, what, what were the things that helped you get to where you are today? Um, it's unfortunate because a lot of chemistry, in my opinion, is organic and natural. Uh, me and Maria sort of immediately gelled as a duo. Um, our sense of humor really plays off each other well. Uh, we have a lot of fun behind the scenes uh, of just entertaining each other during the broadcast. Um, and that carries over into our time on screen of just having a very natural flow. I think for the best commentary pairs, um, and the best commentary teams, there's definitely a very, there is an element of natural chemistry, um, whether that comes from friendship and having known each other for years, or whether it's personality styles and commentary styles meshing well. Um, there is a level of chemistry that you can't really force or develop over time, but the closest thing to it is just continued reps with a partner. I think the most important thing in commentary is, especially when you are uh, doing in-game commentary, not just the news test, is working with the same partner time after time. It really helps you figure out each other's timings. It helps you figure out each other's senses of humor, um, how to set each other up for slam dunks. Um, yep. All of that really comes through trial and error working with the same partner. What's your mindset like when you go into events? Because I know you've been on record saying that you might start studying the meta game as early as three, four weeks before the the event, like maybe try to play a little bit, watch a little bit, try to get familiar with the, the decks and the cards and the strategies. But other than the kind of magic strategy part, what goes through your mind or what's your preparation like going into the event, like to be ready to cast or ready to provide coverage? Uh, honestly, it's used to be really nervous about it, but I've calmed down a lot now that I've been doing it for years, which is insane to think about in and of itself. Um, it's just trying to make sure that I'm not sick, um, avoiding, uh, like you're in good health at the time. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't want to be low energy during a show week. Um, so just making sure that I'm avoiding, uh, activities that can drain me, um, making sure that I'm using my voice too much. Um, those are the biggest non-magic ways for a show. Um, because as long as I'm able to perform my duties on camera, um, and I feel confident in the knowledge um, that I'm relying on having put the work in, in my magic prep, the rest of it is just it feels natural. It just comes. 
what was the most personally challenging event to, to work? Like if you look back over the past three years, like what was the, the most challenging event to, to cast like for, for any reason, whether technical or personal or mental or whatever. It's weird because I don't really remember. Any of <laughs> yeah, them. it goes back to what you said, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's tough it's because it, it, all the shows just sort of feel like a complete show at this point, And I don't really remember them. It is a grind, right? Kind of like a magic event or something. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could pinpoint one. Every show has its unique challenges when it comes to tech issues, but part of the job is just being able to not let that shake me when it comes right. to on camera. It doesn't matter how frustrated I am with things not working or uh, things going wrong, as long as I can leave that off camera um, and be myself um, and my usual self uh, when the camera's rolling, that's all that matters. And I feel like I've been able to do that um, in all the events that I've worked which is something that I'm proud of and something that I, I cherish for sure. Cause it's not always easy. What are you proudest of in terms of uh, a singular event or is it just being proud of uh, a whole body of work? Like, are there particularly proud moments you have like within an event or with anything like through that journey? Definitely not a single moment. Um, I am proud of the work that I've done commentary so far. I'm proud of the fact that I have been able to package uh, in-depth game analysis uh, in a way that is appreciatable both by people who are not overly entrenched in magic as well as players at a pro level. Because um, that was my goal was to be able to do commentary that, you know, not everyone, because it's impossible to please everyone, but the largest collection of Magic players could enjoy and appreciate. And if I was doing that, I would feel I'm succeeding. Um, and that means receiving feedback from a wide range of people, uh, people I don't know, people who I've played Magic with for years, uh, people in Twitch chat, people on Twitter, whoever it is, hearing kind words and seeing that I've been able to present the commentary um, that is palatable for a lot of people. That's what I'm proud of. Uh, even understanding that it's all been a blur. Like it, I feel like I skipped a lot of the building up to commentary. It just sort of happened for me in a series of events where I went from basically not doing commentary at all to becoming a full-time part of the Wizards broadcast team. And even now, three years later, that still feels surreal to me. Uh, it feels like, shouldn't I be going through years of finding low-level commentary events? And yeah. like, shouldn't I be building my way up? Um, and I don't really feel proud of having done that because I feel like a lot of it was luck and being in the right place at the right time and being able to capitalize on it. So I don't think I can be like, I did this. I single-handedly so good that this happened. And that that's not right. a feeling that I can, like I can write the book on how you can do it. Yeah, just like, like that, I did, that's right? not a feeling that I can read. 
have it i i understand and appreciate that i got lucky for the right things to happen at the right time and once i was there i managed to capitalize but it's like now that i'm here i am proud of the work that i've been able to do and i, I do cherish every moment and every opportunity i get to continue doing the flip side of that is do you feel some sense of imposter syndrome at being where you are now? I used to. Um, I always believed when I wanted to do commentary for a very long time, I always believed that I would be good at it uh, because I am a very talkative person to a fault most of the time, uh, as you can attest having known me uh, 10 yeah. years ago. Uh, I, I talk too much, but I also always felt like I could package my thoughts in a coherent way. Um, one of the things that I felt in my life like I would be good at was I thought I could be a good teacher if I had the patience to be, which I don't, I, I, I don't, but I felt like I could be a good teacher in that I, I do like trying to explain things and teaching concepts in a way that people can um, comprehend and appreciate. So yes, I felt some sense of imposter syndrome that I'm at the pro tour and I've been doing commentary for two months, three months. Um, but at the same time, I believe that I would be good at it. And I was seeing from every avenue, whether it was player feedback, viewer feedback, or internal WASI feedback, that I was doing a good job and they were happy with what I was doing. So I was trying really hard to internalize that feedback and believe that it wasn't just me feeling like I'd done a good job. I was actually doing a good job and it wasn't always easy. I didn't always believe it. Um, but I tried to make an active effort to internalize that all the same. Looking back on these two, three years, or even maybe as recently as six months, um, are you able to objectively assess why it was that you are in wizard's good graces, right? Like that you are able to do a, 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 an objectively good job. Like, I think there's definitely like validation around the community that you're doing the right things. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. Are you able to, to look back on some of that and figure out like where, like, how, how, how did you, how did you achieve all that? Like, um, you kind of touched on some stuff, but I, 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 I still want to know, like, just how you think about the, you know, recent journey and how you're now doing a, a pro tour and all of that. Part of it is definitely just really made sure, and it wasn't even an active effort. It was sort of how my personality is, but I made sure to put the work in. Um, when I got that first trial event with Wizards, the players were, uh, I was set to cast one round each day uh, and the rest of the time I was there to observe and be part of the process. But the entire time I was asking questions and trying to learn 
um, and try to think about the show as something I'm a part of, even if that's a small part. Um, and I was making sure to relay tidbits about players, cool facts, whatever I thought could level up the broadcast in some minor, minuscule way. Um, I was inputting that just to not feel like I had walked away from it, um, not having given it my all. So I fully immersed myself in the show. Um, and with every show, it was, oh, you need to do some tiebreaker math to figure out how many of these matches matter for the top eight. I can do that. I can tell you which matches matter. I can map out exactly the five different permutations that this round is going to look like that will result in what we're watching and what we're doing. Oh, you need this done. I can do that. You need me here. I can do that. It, it was making myself available, making myself uh, part of the show and sort of giving it my all. Um, and that's just the way I approach things was when I was doing something, I wanted to give it my all if it was something that interested me. Um, and commentary obviously interested me. So at every opportunity that I was given, I did everything I was asked that was asked of me, and I made myself available for whatever maybe needed of me. Uh, and in that way, I felt like a capitalist on the that was given, and I feel like that attitude was something that was appealing, um, as well as you know the commentary being okay uh, it was something that made an appealing package um, for wizards and I think it helped that you know I knew everybody from the magic scene I knew Paul Chion and I knew Maria and I knew Rich Hagen um, who works behind the scenes and I knew Corey and I knew Marshall uh, I, knowing all these people and knowing them some capacity made me slot into the team more naturally it didn't feel like I was a stranger being added that I now had to become familiar with all these people. It was, yeah, we have pre-existing I think you've, you've, you've touched on that's it. Like, I think it's a couple of things you said. One is definitely putting in the work, right? But I think what you're saying is that putting in the work is just table stakes, right? Putting in the work is just the bare minimum, but you're always thinking about like, in that one round or in that opportunity that I have, how do I, how can I try to go above and beyond a little bit, right? It's kind of like get a little bit better or try to offer a little bit more in terms of value, whether it's the, the math or whether it's, uh, you know, being willing to absorb what is around you and being, and showing people that you're willing to, to learn, you're willing to absorb what is happening. Like people can sense that it's just a very human quality, right? Like whether basically it's like if someone is curious versus whether they're just here to, to show up, like, are, are you just happy to be here or are you actually trying to take away something? I think it sounds like you're definitely in the latter. Um, cause I, I think like going back to what you said about like there being a, a large pool, pool of people that want to do commentary, there are, I don't know how many people that would love to be in your shoes, but not all of those people given you can call it luck or you can call it like timing, like given those opportunities, not all of them are going to work as hard as you did, or not all of them are willing to 
try to go a little bit above and beyond, try to impress the um, overlords at Wizards or whomever, right? Like just, just, just kind of like building a portfolio in real time as you're as you're doing it, like on the job. I think that I think that's that's what I'm kind of taking away from taking away from what you said, and hopefully I haven't misrepresented your words or what you're trying to get across. Oh, it, it's true. It's the understanding that there are a lot of people that want to do what I do and a lot of people that would be good at it um, if given the opportunity, uh, which is awesome. But that also means if I want to continue doing what I do, um, I have to give it my all. I have to do my best and appreciate and capitalize on the fortunate position that I've been put in. And that's all I can do. That's all I managed to do. Looking forward, what are some of your goals, if any, or intentions when it comes to casting? Um, it's weird because, you know, I'm casting at the highest level for magic. Um, so when setting goals, it's normally the goals would be to get here. So what goals do you set when you're when you are here. at yeah. the top? Um, and the answer is, I don't really know. Um, I have an understanding that casting is an unpredictable endeavor. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be fortunate enough to continue casting next year or the year after that. Um, and I feel like because a lot of this endeavor is out of my hands, I don't really have a five-year plan of this is where I want to be in casting in five years, because it's not like if Wizards suddenly stopped hiring me, I can update my LinkedIn and put a resume into the other company that is running Magic Pro Tours. This, this, is, this is the only game in town. Um, so in that way, I try to not think about the future too much in those terms. Um, I would like to continue casting magic for as long as possible. Uh, I would like to cast other games, um, if given the opportunity, uh, I have done some casting for storybook crawl. Um, I've recently got a chance to do some casting for Marvel snap. Um, I would like to continue doing that as well. Uh, casting is something that I really enjoy. Uh, so being able to do it for, uh, not just magic, but esports in general, um, is something I appreciate, but the goal really is continue doing it as long as they let me. And once they don't figure it out from there. What about, you know, outside of casting, like what, what are some of your, do you have goals or things related to magic? Um, I would love to work behind the scenes, uh, once, uh, Casting is no longer an option, uh, whether that is at Wizards uh, or elsewhere. Um, it, you know, I had many years of events experience working at the gaming stadium, um, so I feel like I would um, do 
do well at events, uh, but I would also love to, you know, work at Wizards helping work on the game. But it's something that is not an active goal. It's a, I'll think about this when casting is no longer an option. Yeah. Sounds like right now you're still very much in the moment. Take it one event at a time. Yeah. Right. I feel fortunate that I don't feel any sort of urgency to have a plan. I feel like if and when I'm no longer able to cast, I, I, I'll be in a position where I can take three to six months uh, and try to map out what the next step is. And until then, I'd rather just savor where I'm at and focus on my professional work with casting and my personal life with my health, both physical and mental, um, and just make sure that's in order without focusing too much on the future. Wise words. So thank you, Mani, so much for taking the time to share with me your, your past experience, like really past, present and future. And what is the best place for people to find your work or where you where where were you would like to be fine? Where would you like to be found on the internet? Honestly, I like to be found on whatever tournament or event I'm broadcasting by the single organized place to find that out is probably on my Twitter at Zapgaze. I don't really use it for anything other than work. Um, but if you'd like to uh, find out what the next event I'll be doing commentary for is, then that's the easiest way to find out as well as all the card previews and whatnot I may share. And you're also on a new exciting podcast with Mar Maria Bartoldi, right? So you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that is on the Good Luck High Five feed. It's called Deaths After Dark. Um, and the idea is essentially Maria and I, after uh, every Pro Tour, are planning on sitting down and recording um, a podcast, essentially about a behind-the-look scene at uh, behind-the-scenes look uh, at Magic Coverage. Um, what people may not realize goes into it uh, off air uh, and how the show gets brought, as well as just talking about how we feel like the show went, uh, answering your questions, um, which we're always happy to collect, um, and just talking about coverage because it, it's a passion for both of us. We really enjoy doing it, um, and we just don't want the show to quite end, so why not extend it with a little bit of a little bit more uh, on it. How did you guys come up with this show? I suspect it might be partly from you, but I, I kind of want to hear in your own words. Uh, it was in Las Vegas um, for the previous World Championship. We were just in the green room. Um, and I've always won. So it feels weird to say always because but I really wanted to talk about how coverage gets made um, in a way that was public facing because there's a lot of misconceptions about coverage. There's a lot of assumptions that the public make about um, the decisions that go into a show, uh, whether it be ads, whether it be content pieces, uh, the purpose for different things, why uh, certain things get presented. 
one way or another. There's a lot of things that I saw people commenting on that was just blatantly wrong. Um, and it didn't come from a place of uh, malicious intent. It, it came from nobody talks about how coverage actually gets done at the highest level and why those decisions are made. Um, and I wanted to shed some insight on that. So, you know, it was something I wanted to do and we were in the green room in Vegas and I was joking with Maria, um, we should start a podcast uh, just talking about coverage. Call um, it Desk After Dark um, because it's our just unfiltered thoughts on and what it's like to do coverage and being able to answer these questions and being able to shed a light. Um, in doing so, just spread that knowledge, insider or otherwise, about commentary that we have and I would love everyone to have. Uh, so that was the goal. It was, you know, mostly joking and messing around, but Maria was interested and after we got home from Las Vegas, uh, we talked more about it and we decided why not do it. So we recorded an episode, um, then we just did it again and keep doing it as long as we feel like we have things to talk about. We feel like the behind the scenes of uh, the events is interesting to look at and we're getting questions to answer. Um, we keep on doing it not, you know, it's nothing that we're putting too many resources or too much time into, but once a pro tour, uh, every three months or so, being able to just put something up like that, it's fun. Excellent. I'm a big fan already. I've listened to parts of the, the two episodes you guys, at the time of this recording, uh, you guys had just released the, uh, pro tour Phyrexia recap. And I think it's absolutely wonderful. Like the, the, the chemistry that the two of you have is still showing obviously through this show and, uh, I, people listening to or watching this, please definitely check out, um, desk after dark. I will drop some links in the description show notes and, um, Mani, thank you so much for taking the time for, uh, being so candid with your, your magic journey with me. I appreciate you having me. It was fun to chat catch up and chat and just, it, it's nice going through sort of the evolution uh, of the person, just thinking about who I was and who I ended up becoming. Um, I have some pride in that just because I definitely was not happy with the person I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and uh, I feel like I am now and being able to revisit that and talk about that was, was cool. Yeah, I'm just so happy that we're able to to catch up after all these uh, all these years. And uh, I sincerely just just as a as a friend, someone who knows you, I just I just wish you the best, man. I just I just really want you to be continue to be in a good place. And uh, the number one thing I can uh, wish you is just hope to hope you can continue to be well. And uh, it, it, you know, you're you're sounds like you're in a good place. And I hope you can uh, figure out a way to keep it up. I appreciate that. Thanks, James.